One of my earliest memories of Jesus came through the form of a piece of artwork. It was a, a painting that was in my grandparents' living room. Uh, my grandparents were very um, active in their church, committed followers of Christ. But they had a painting in their living room of Jesus. And around Jesus was a big flock of sheep, and in Jesus' arms was a little cuddly lamb. And that picture of Jesus really shaped my early views of the way that Jesus was as a shepherd. And, and really this picture of Jesus as a shepherd, of this idea of Jesus as a shepherd, is one of the most common depictions that we see of Jesus. Uh, you see it in artwork all down through the centuries. And uh, even, I think somewhere in here, we may even have a picture right up there, a picture of Jesus as a shepherd. And again, this is a very common depiction, and it's very appropriate because Jesus in his ministry even describes himself as a shepherd. But I think when we think of Jesus as a shepherd, sometimes from our 21st century American eyes, we may have some misperceptions of what it means for Jesus to be a shepherd. And it creates some problems as we talk about following Jesus. One of the misperceptions that sometimes we have, or one of the reactions that we have when we think of Jesus as a shepherd, is that if Jesus is a shepherd, that means that we are supposed to be his sheep who are following him. And many times, we don't like to follow people. We don't like to submit to authority. We want to be able to do things our own ways. And so we don't necessarily like the implications of what it means for Jesus to be a shepherd, especially as it relates to our personal lives. The second problem that oftentimes occurs is that when we look at these pictures of Jesus being a shepherd, we get this idea of kind of this sentimental, warm, fuzzy feeling of a shepherd always having some cozy, cuddly lamb in his arms. And we kind of get this view of Jesus sometimes that's kind of a soft view of Jesus. And Jesus certainly was compassionate. He, he cared for people around him. But at the same time, when we think of Jesus only as soft and cuddly and warm and, and all, all warm and fuzzy all the time, he may not inspire this desire to really want to give our lives and following him. And so today I want to look in Scripture and see what Jesus said about himself being a shepherd and what that really means in our lives. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're in John 10 today. Last week we looked at John 10 verses 1 through 10 where Jesus begins to describe himself as a shepherd. And today we're going to continue the passage looking in verses 11 through 18 where Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. And this is a continuation of our sermon series called I Am, where it's looking at a series of statements that Jesus made about himself that all begin with the words, I am. And we're subtitling the series, Present Tense Portraits of Christ, understanding how does Jesus make a relevant difference to our lives here today, day to day in the 21st century. As we look through scripture, we see that the idea of shepherds and sheep is a very prominent idea all through scripture. For instance, in the Old Testament, we see that God describes himself as a shepherd. In Psalm 23, verse 1, Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that we all know very well, um, or that, that we probably know very well. We hear it a lot. It's one of the most uh, well-known parts of Scripture. It begins with the words, The Lord is my shepherd. And so God is oftentimes described as a shepherd. And then down through history, God began to appoint humans as shepherds over his people. Sometimes it would be kings who would have a responsibility of governing in an appropriate way to help, help God's people live at peace and also help God's people to seek God. Sometimes shepherds, uh, as humans referred to priests and other religious leaders, who had the responsibility of pointing people to God. 
And then another thing that we see happening, though, over time is that human shepherds began to stray from the calling that God placed on their lives. Because human shepherds are called to point people back to God. But oftentimes these human shepherds would fail in that calling. We see, for instance, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And listen to what he says to these kings and to these priests and to these religious leaders about their failure and their shepherding role. He says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back, brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. So that's the picture back here in Ezekiel chapter 34 of God calling out these shepherds of Israel, these, these people who should be caring for the people of Israel, but instead only care about themselves. And in doing so, they let the people wander astray like sheep without a shepherd. But God gives a glimmer of hope. Um, a, little, a little bit later in Ezekiel chapter 34, we see God telling about how he's going to send a faithful shepherd who will faithfully guide his people back to himself. Ezekiel 34, verse 23, God says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, this may be a little confusing if you know anything about history, um, at least history of Scripture, because King David, he was a shepherd, and he was described as a shepherd of God's people, but he lived 400 years before Ezekiel wrote this prophecy. Yet Ezekiel says, they will, they, or through Ezekiel, God says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And what this is referring to is the coming Messiah, one who will come who will be a descendant of King David, who will rule in David's place and be this true shepherd of God's people. This was written in around 500 B.C. or so. And so that's near the end of the Old Testament era. So most of the shepherds, the human shepherds, have strayed from their calling. But God gives the promise that there will be a faithful shepherd who will come. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 10. So I invite you to pray for me as we dig into this passage together. Lord Jesus, as we come to this passage, we want to acknowledge that you are the shepherd. And therefore, we ought to be your sheep. And I pray that as we dig into this passage, that we will see you with fresh eyes, with clear eyes, with a willing heart and a willing and open mind what it means for you to be the shepherd and for us to be your sheep. We ask for your, your voice to be speaking to us today and for us to have ears to hear. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I invite you to follow along in John chapter 10 as I begin reading in verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Now in this passage, we see Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. I want to point out three specific characteristics of what makes Jesus such a good shepherd. First of all, we see here that Jesus defends his sheep. He, he begins by comparing himself with hired hands. Hired hands are simply employees of the sheep's owner. They're employees who are out there primarily to make money. They aren't looking over the sheep because they care for them. They aren't looking over the sheep because they, they belong to them. They aren't looking over the sheep because they belong to a family member. They're looking over the sheep because it's a way for them to make money. They're a hired hand. They're an employee. But Jesus says that because they're a hired hand, because they don't have an intrinsic care for the sheep, when trouble comes, when their well-being is threatened, they're going to abandon the sheep. And, and he points specifically to a wolf coming. When a wolf comes and the, and the hired hand begins to feel a little bit threatened in terms of his own personal well-being, he's going to flee. And this is a very common thing to have happen, that when something belongs to us, we take great care of it oftentimes. But then we give less care to things that don't belong to us. Back when I was 16, I got my driver's license. That was a great thing. Um, had my car. I took very good care of that car. One day, I had the opportunity to drive my grandmother's car. Uh, my grandparents were farmers. They lived out on this farm. Their lane, their driveway was about a quarter mile long with a lot of potholes in it. There were a couple major bumps. They were basically like massive speed bumps. And typically when you drive down that driveway, you only drive 5, maybe 10 miles an hour. And that's how I typically drove my car down that driveway. But on this particular day, me as a 16-year-old had my grandmother's car running on a quick errand. And as you can imagine where the story's going, I decided to go a little bit faster down the driveway that day. Can't tell you I had any grand motive for why. I wasn't in a tremendous hurry. Just thought it would be kind of fun. So I'm going down this driveway where you typically drive 5, maybe 10 miles an hour. I'm driving at 25, 30 miles an hour. And got down the driveway just fine. Didn't bottom the car out or anything like that. Then I got in the house. And Grandma looked at me and she said, Brandon, you're driving awfully fast, weren't you? Would you drive your car that fast down the driveway? That was extremely convicting to me. I said, no, I wouldn't. And she didn't need to say anything more because I got the point that I would have treated my own car much better than that. But because it was hers, me as a 16-year-old was not caring for it in the same way as I cared for my own car. And this is the same picture that we see here, that because the sheep do not ultimately belong to that shepherd, to that hired hand, the hired hand, when trouble comes, is going to run. But Jesus says that he is not like that hired hand. When trouble comes, he's going to stand his ground, even to the death and defend those sheep. We need to understand that shepherding was not some sissy job for weak people. It wasn't. Oftentimes when we see pictures of Jesus being a shepherd, when we think of shepherds, we think of those nice cuddly little pictures of, of holding a bunch of nice warm cozy sheep in your arms and stuff like that. Shepherding was a very challenging job. It was a, it was a job that took a lot of courage I mean, I even think about my walk over here. I come over on Sunday mornings uh, from my house, which is right next door, when it's dark outside still. I'm very thankful for those lights that come on, the motion lights, because then you can see where you're going. 
This morning as I was walking over here, I was thinking about what it would be like for the shepherds out in the middle of nowhere. No light in the night unless the moon is out. They're out out there all by themselves. And they have to fend off the wild animals or the thieves that may come. King David, he became a great warrior as he became a king. But earlier in his life, he was a shepherd who watched over sheep. And, and you may know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a very large man who was threatening the armies of Israel. Uh, he was uh, from a, a, a clan called the Philistines. David at this point was just a little shepherd boy. And he came out one day uh, to visit his brothers on the battle lines when Goliath was threat- threatening them. And David said, how come you guys are so scared? Goliath is just, he's threatening the armies of God. He can't stand up against God. And it says in 1 Samuel 17 that Saul looked at David and said, you aren't able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. Now listen to what David said in response. And he points to some of the things that David had to do when he was a shepherd. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, do you hear what David did as a shepherd? When a lion would come, when a bear would come, presumably when a wolf would come, he would fight off those attacking predators to save the sheep. He even describes how he has killed a lion and killed a bear. I know a few people in our congregation who have come, had a pretty close encounter with a bear out in the wild, specifically as they've been hunting. But they only saw the bear, and they were hoping that the bear would not attack. I haven't talked with anyone personally here who's actually gone up against a bear, grabbed that bear, and killed that bear. But that is a role that a shepherd would sometimes have to step into to fight, physically fight off the wild animals when they would come. You see, again, shepherding is not some sissy job for weaklings. It takes a significant amount of strength and a significant amount of courage. Back in Psalm 23, uh, that that famous psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd, you probably know um, there's a line in there that says, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, it's interesting to look at the, the, the end of that phrase, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds had a couple different tools. Most commonly, we think of what's called the staff. It has a little hook here at the end. Uh, this, anytime you see a picture of a shepherd and they are holding anything in their hand besides the lamb, they're holding a staff most likely. The staff is great with this hook because if a sheep starts to stray, they can grab it and to pull it back. So that's the staff. But Psalm 23 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The staff was not the only tool the shepherd had. The shepherd also had a rod. That's more like this. The rod is for fending off wild animals. The the rod is basically a club to fight off attackers. Now, it's interesting to me that this was given to me on my installation service Sunday when I started here at Freedom's. It was given to me by the district superintendent. Uh, the top of it says, uh, it's a passage out of 1 Peter 5, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is under your care. I think it's interesting that he gave me a, a rod, not a staff. I'm not quite sure if there's any symbolism there since the rod is used to beat off things to, to, to keep predators and people away. But this is an idea of what a shepherd's role is. A shepherd's role is to protect the sheep, 
to defend the sheep. And at times it's just protecting them as they stray away or to lead them to quiet waters or to pastures so they can graze. But there are times when the shepherd needs to step up and to defend his sheep. And Jesus says that's what he is going to do. That when any sort of attack comes on a sheep, that he is going to protect them. And so what he calls us to do is to turn to him, to look to him when we are facing threats. Because Jesus, he wasn't literally a shepherd. He's using a metaphor here. People are his sheep. We are the sheep of his flock. And so for us, when we face a circumstance in life that threatens our sense of well-being, whether it's a person who's coming against us, whether it's financial or employment difficulties, whether it's physical ailments or something like that, when we feel threatened, what we need to do is to turn to Jesus because he says that he will stand in the gap for us, that he will defend us, that he will protect us. When, we, when people are attacking us with their words, that can, those things, words can sting us more than almost anything else. But Jesus says there, turn to me and I will defend you. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to defend us in the exact way that we want right then, but he still will. He will make sure that justice is done, whether now or in the future. That's why in Romans 12 it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For the Lord says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. We are called to trust Jesus to defend us rather than, rather than just trying to fight the battle ourselves. Turn to him because he is our shepherd who will defend us. If you've ever seen a sheep in a battle, sheep almost always lose that battle. That's why the shepherd's there, to protect them. If we are having doubts about our faith, or if we have fiery arrows, metaphorically speaking, from Satan coming and attacking us, we are called to turn to Jesus because he will defend us. Even right now, one of Jesus' main roles that he has now is to stand before God and to be our defense attorney, saying, you know what? Even if others are accusing them, even if Satan is accusing them, I'm interceding on their behalf. He is defending us. I think of the story in John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery. You may know this story. Picture a whole bunch of religious leaders around the temple, and then suddenly they drag in this woman who's been caught doing something that no one, well, should ever be doing in the first place, but if they're doing it, they definitely do not want to be caught doing it. And there's this woman who's drug in there before all the religious leaders, and they're all pointing at her saying, look, she's dirty, she's nothing. You can imagine her shame, her pain in that moment. And Jesus walked over there. He stooped down, put a line in the sand and says, I'm with her. I'm with her. And one by one, all those religious leaders who were pointing the finger at her, accusing her, left. And we see over in John 8, after all the people left, it says Jesus straightened up and looked at her. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, with Jesus as our shepherd, he, he doesn't just say, well, go do your own thing and that'll be all good. Because remember, here he goes and defends her. He stands by her side, but he also says, go now and leave your life of sin. That's almost a call of saying, come, follow me. Follow God. Don't keep following your own ways because that's going to just get you into trouble. But you see here that Jesus defends her. I think that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus wants to do for all of us. There's a passage out of Exodus chapter 15, it's verse 3 there, that says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord 
is his name. This is uh, a song that's being sung right after God has delivered Israel from captivity in Egypt and right after they have crossed through the Red Sea, an miraculous event where God saved them and defended them against the Egyptian army. And in the song, they declare the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. I think this idea of the Lord being a warrior is a picture of what Jesus is as our shepherd, that he will fight for us, that he will defend us, that even when we are weak, he is strong, and he will not back down. He is a warrior shepherd fighting on our behalf. Dallas Willard, who's a prominent Christian author, has said that the, that, that phrase out of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he says it's written on many more tombstones than lives. Now, it's one thing to talk about Jesus defending us and to talk about Jesus being our shepherd. It's another thing to actually live that way. Oftentimes at funerals, we read Psalm 23, or you hear it at other sentimental times, um, Lord is my shepherd. And that's, that's a nice, I mean, it, it fills us with good feelings of the idea that the Lord is my shepherd. But what Dallas Willard is saying there is that that's actually meant to be lived out in our day-to-day lives. It's not just meant to be put on a plaque on the wall or read during some church service. It's meant to be lived out where we are actually submitting to Christ as our shepherd. We can't just think that, oh, Jesus is going to defend me no matter what if we are out wandering from the flock or wandering away from the shepherd. We need to place ourselves solidly in his hands under his care submitting wholeheartedly to his authority. And that is how we come into his flock and receive his care. So the sheep that begin to wander away from the shepherd and away from the flock, they're the most vulnerable. And, and we have to understand that if a sheep keeps wandering away, there's going to come a time most likely when something bad is going to happen to them. That's why when, when I see someone who starts to wander away from church, wander away from solid fellowship with other Christians, that's oftentimes a sign that something bad may happen, that they're going in a direction that's really not going to be good because separating ourselves from fellowship with, with the flock is the first step towards separating ourselves from the shepherd, Jesus, and that's where we become very vulnerable to attack, to getting lost, to starving. And so it's important that we are placing ourselves in submission under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And really, I think this idea of placing ourselves under the shepherding of Christ is very similar to uh, a passage that looks different on the surface, but it's a call to follow Christ. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I think the idea of denying ourselves and following Christ is, is a very similar idea to what it means to place ourselves under the shepherding of Christ. Because to place ourselves under the chief shepherd Christ means that we are giving up our own will and we are submitting to him. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And as we do so, he's going to lead us to green pastures, to quiet waters, to true life, and he's going to defend us against anything that comes to attack us. So Jesus defends his sheep. That's one of the characteristics of what he does as the good shepherd. And he also pursues his sheep. We see here in verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, this other sheep pen that Jesus is talking about here is what are called Gentiles. In that world, you had a sharp distinction between Jews on the one hand and Gentiles 
on the other hand. Jews were seen, especially among themselves, as God's people. And, and a lot of Jesus' early ministry was to Jewish people, and, and they became Jewish Christians. But after a while, Jesus began to expand his scope, and the church began to expand his scope to include Gentiles, which are everyone who's a non-Jewish person. And Jesus is saying, I need to go seek them as well. They are going to become a part of my one flock, and I'm going to be their shepherd just as I'm your shepherd. And what this says to me here is that Jesus is going to pursue his sheep. He's not satisfied with just good enough, but he wants to go reach more and more people and to be the shepherd of more and more people. Now, sheep by nature like to stray. When I think about sheep, I think, you know, they really have practically no common sense. My grandparents, were, uh, they, they had sheep on their farm for a number of years, and I remember growing up, some of the things the sheep did, I'd be out in the barn with my grandpa when he would be caring for them or feeding them. Like I said, I feel like sheep have practically no common sense. Uh, there are times, especially when you feed them, they get all excited. And when they're hungry, it seemed like the sheep, they don't care if they step on their own young. There were some small rooms in the barn where the sheep would sometimes be, and there wouldn't be a feed trough in there. There'd be a little a bowl of food of some sort. They would get so excited, or they'd get upset with each other, and they would kick over that bowl of food, and it seemed like they wouldn't care. I remember one time when a sheep, something happened to the sheep. My, my grandparents didn't know where that sheep was, and it was gone for several days. After a while, we found that sheep out somewhere far away in the pasture, underneath a bush, and it was just hanging out there. It was the middle of winter. I mean, if it stayed out there much longer, it was going to starve, it was going to freeze, or it was going to be attacked. It was just out there all by itself, basically just waiting to die. It needed a shepherd. It needed someone who cared for it to bring it back in. Pastor David earlier referred to how sheep can um, at times go over a cliff. Let me tell you a story. There was a newspaper article back in 2005 uh, that had a very interesting title. The title was Sheep in Mass Uicide. It's a play on words for suicide, but it was a uicide. told the story of over in Turkey back in 2005 of there, there are still shepherds in many parts of the world. And Turkey is one of those places. It was just outside of town. There are a whole bunch of families from this one town who all had their flocks of sheep together. So there were about 26 shepherds out there. Um, and then about 1,500 sheep total. It was early in the morning, and the shepherds were all just gathered for breakfast while the sheep were grazing out here in this, uh, this field. All of a sudden, the shepherds looked up, and a sheep had jumped over a cliff and died. And then another sheep followed, and another sheep. And, and you can imagine by this time, they're getting pretty uh, worked up, pretty hysterical. They're going over and trying to stop the sheep, but they cannot stop the sheep and next thing you know, all 1,500 sheep had jumped over the cliff, one after another after another. That day, about, it, was, it was a cliff that was about 45 feet tall. About 450 of them died. The local newspaper described it as a big, billowy, white cloud at the bottom of that cliff. About 450 died. The, the, the sheep that were in the middle and the back of those who jumped off survived because of the nice, big, fluffy cushion uh, of the first sheep who jumped off. But that shows the way that sheep are. That sheep don't always have a lot of common sense. They'll follow each other. They'll make terrible decisions that ultimately can lead to their death. And that's why you need a shepherd. But I think about us as people who metaphorically in Scripture are called sheep. Oftentimes we aren't that much different. 
that we can follow the herd mentality that leads us in a very poor direction, that we can make bad decisions that really defy common sense, that we naturally are not going to seek what leads us to life. The idea of Jesus pursuing a sheep shows that he is going to come after us. That we can be sure that if one of us is in the kingdom of God and has salvation, that we have not wandered there by accident, but that he has come and sought us. This shows that God is not just sitting there at the gate of the sheep pen, metaphorically speaking, just kind of twiddling his thumbs, saying, oh, hope someone comes in here today. No, he's going to go out and chase them down. You can be sure that if you see God working, or if you see someone ex- uh, exhibiting increased openness to Christ, If they are growing spiritually, you can be sure that God is pursuing them and that he is the one at work in that person's life because Jesus pursues his sheep. He defends his sheep. And finally, we see in this passage that Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. This shows the ultimate sacrifice. We see five different times in this passage, Jesus says, I I lay down my life for my sheep. Or the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now we immediately, when we think of this idea of laying down your life, we immediately think of the crucifixion. And we know that that was such a, a, a powerful time of Jesus literally laying aside his life. And it says in this passage that Jesus did that willingly. It wasn't by accident that Jesus was crucified. He did it completely willingly because he knew that's what it was going to take to bring us into God's kingdom, to bring us salvation, to bring us forgiveness of sins. But I think this idea of Jesus laying aside his life is more than just what took place on the cross. It's really a picture of everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. See, over in Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes the path that that Jesus' life took. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the picture here is that Jesus was on his heavenly throne, uh, being worshipped 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if there was time in eternity. I mean, he's, he's in his holy uh, kingly robes up there, king of kings, lord of lords. And Jesus willingly set aside that glory. He laid aside those kingly robes to step onto this earth for 33 years to fulfill a specific mission. And in that entire time, he came as a servant. He actually said, Son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in doing so, he was laying aside his his glory. He was laying aside that kingly power. He was laying aside everything that would cause people to praise him in that moment so that he could serve. And in doing so, he was living a lifestyle of laying aside his life that would ultimately culminate in the cross. Now, Jesus didn't owe this to us. I mean, we were not people who were doing anything great to cause him to love us. Think about sheep with a shepherd. The, shep- the sheep are not doing anything tremendous that should cause the shepherd to care for them, but the shepherd care for them because of their care for the sheep, their love for the sheep. And that's why Jesus did what he did in laying aside his life for our well-being. Back in Isaiah 53, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, uh, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, 
and the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We all like sheep have gone astray, but God poured out his wrath on Jesus so that we would not have to experience it. And that is the ultimate way that Jesus has shepherded his sheep, by caring for us enough to sacrifice himself so that we could have life. Today we are celebrating communion together. It is an opportunity to remember what Christ has done for us. Jesus instituted this, the Lord's Supper communion as a way to help us as sheep who easily stray, who easily forget, who easily go our own way, to remember that Christ has loved us. He sacrificed himself for us. The servers may come forward now. Um, in just a few moments, they're going to pass out the bread and the cup. The bread represents the broken body of Christ on our behalf. The cup represents the shed blood of Christ on our behalf. And he did these things as a sacrifice so that we could be reconciled with God. That's what the good shepherd did on our behalf. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, you know it took guts, it took courage. It was a tremendous sacrifice. But that shows Christ's great love for us.